Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I want to jump right into it this morning. There's so much I want to talk about, but uh, the past several weeks we've been kind of closing this all up, and uh, what, what we've seen here in chapter 11 and 12 is that, you know, there are some final pictures that Solomon is trying to give us to kind of wrap it all together, to wrap it all up, and really, in a sense, these uh, pictures are as pieces of the puzzle. Uh, what he's trying to do is he's trying to show us uh, the conclusion of it all. Remember, this is a man who has, who has tasted everything, tried everything, everything he tried under the sun. He said, it is meaningless, it's worthless, it's empty. And I've seen so often in my own life and in the life of others that so many people are chasing the wind. They are chasing things that really don't matter. They are chasing the trivial, as we've said before, instead of the valuable And what Solomon has showed us these past few weeks is that first and foremost, life is an adventure, right? Life is an adventure. Whether we like it or not, life is an adventure. And the point he's trying to make in the first part of chapter 11 is we are to live it by faith. Uh, Faith in God is key. It's imperative uh, to our Christian life. And really the point he is making in chapter 11, the first part, is since it's an adventure, since we're supposed to live it by faith, uh, we are to live to give. We are to give generously, uh, not just of our finances, but of our life. And everything really points to our Savior who lived his life in order to give his life, to give it to us. And really the mark of a Christian is to be like Christ and I'm not asking people to lay down your lives this morning, but we should be willing to give of our lives for our Savior, to do the best that we can to honor Him, to glorify Him. We saw last week that life not only is an adventure, but life is a gift. Life is a gift from God. And since it's a gift, we are called to rejoice in this gift. Remember, life is not supposed to be a burden, although we make it a burden so often. It's not meant to be a burden to bear. It is a gift to enjoy. And that's what Solomon is getting at these final uh, chapters that, you know what, life to me in my life, what he was saying was it was just a burden. I was trying to get through the day and get through the week and get through the month and get through the year. But that's not how it's supposed to be because we only have one life, right? This is the only life that God has given us. So don't just go through it in the mundane way that we do it so often. Realize that it's a gift and learn to rejoice in all that God has given you, the good and the bad, because he's using it to teach us something. We also said last week that not only are we to rejoice, but we are to remove. What are we to remove? Really, the simple thing back in verse number 10 is the worry, the anxiety, the fear that so often besets us. And as I mentioned in the morning service and even in the evening classes last Sunday, you know, many of us struggle with anxiety. We struggle with fear. We struggle with worry. And as I mentioned, really, that is a form of pride. And it's something I've been guilty of. It's something you've been guilty of as well. But Solomon, this wise advice he gives us is to remove it. Remove the sorrow from your heart. Put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. Look, it does you no good to just be sorrowful all the days of your life. 
You're not going to rejoice. You're not going to find joy if you're always sorrowful. If you're always worrying about what may or may not happen, you're going to lose your joy. You're going to let something else or someone else steal the joy that, that God wants to give you. So he encourages us to remove the pain, remove the sorrow, remove the anxiety that burdens us, that, bear, or that, that weighs us down. And then finally, he told us to remember, to remember our creator. Now specifically, he talks about our youth, but he references it and gives us the great illusion or the great illustration of the fact that life is short. <laughs> and eventually, some of the, 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 the facets of our body, they're just not going to work that the way they used to work, right? I think many of us can, can testify to that. So while you still have breath, while you still have life, remember who your creator is. Remember that it's all about Jesus. It's all about who he is, what he has done. Solomon was a man that knew God, forsook God, and finally remembered God. But I think about that, that middle part. He forsook God. I've seen too many individuals, too many Christians that have forsaken God, one reason or another. Something happened in their life that was difficult that they didn't like. And instead of turning to God to trust God, to realize that God was going to work it out for the best in their lives, they removed themselves from God. But as I mentioned last week, and I want you to get this, this is key in setting this up today. When you lose God, when you remove yourself from God, you lose everything. And so many people have lost God. They've removed themselves from God and instead of gaining everything like they're trying to do, they've actually lost everything. And today we see this final picture in verses 9 through 14. Not only is life an adventure, it's a gift, but life is a stewardship. Life is a stewardship. This really kind of sets perfectly up with the next series. We're going to be starting next Sunday morning. It's entitled Entrusted. It's all about stewardship. God has entrusted us with this life. And really, this is the picture that Solomon is giving us since God has entrusted us with this life. We are stewards. We are managers of the life that God has given us. A steward is someone that is a manager. They manage someone else's property. They manage what has been given to them for someone else. And we must realize that one day we will give an account to God for what we've done with his gift of life. Corey Ten Boom once said, the measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. That's a good thought. It's not its duration. It's not how long you live. It's how much you give. It's how much you use the life you have for God. And really, the, the truth of all of this, it boils down to this morning, is this. You can spend your life, you can waste your life, or you can invest your life. And really, the choice is up to you. I've seen people spend their lives, spend it foolishly on trivial things. Same is true. I've seen people waste their life on trivial, on foolish things. Or you can invest your life for an eternal purpose and realize that God is the center of all. His son is the center of it all. It's all about him. It's always, always been about him. And as I ended last week, I asked the question, what is your focal point? Is your focal point your, yourself, your circumstances, or is your focal point God? Is it his son? So often, honestly, my focal point is not God. I know I'm saying that as a preacher, but so often it's more of myself, what I want, my agenda, my plans. And when my circumstances, when my things get messed up, oh, it drives me crazy. 
and I'm sure you're the same. But I've realized in those moments that God wasn't my focal point. That this life is not meant to be lived for me, it's meant to be lived for him. And as we finish out this morning in verses 9 through 14, really the, the intriguing question Solomon is getting us to ask is this, what is your life quest? What is your life quest? In verse number 9, look with me, the Bible says, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he was a very wise man, he, he still taught the people knowledge. Well, knowledge is important, education is important. He gave good heed and, and sought out and set in order many things very quickly. What, he's, what he is saying is he himself learned to be wise. He learned the value of wisdom over foolishness. And this king, who had explored many subjects in many matters, spent much of his life studying great things and, and writing many proverbs, he found an order to it all, and, and he laid it out in an orderly fashion. But then we get into verse 10 and 11. Verse 10, the Bible says, The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The first principle I want to give us this morning is this. What we see in verses 10 and 11 is this. Life's goading certainty. Life's goading certainty that truth is relevant. Truth is relevant. Uh, uh, earlier this week, I saw in one of my Facebook groups, one of my ministry groups that I'm a part of, and it's a preacher's group that uh, this preacher was, he was kind of making fun of another preacher because uh, the preacher, as so many of us do, he messed up his words. I know it hardly ever happens to me. Uh, and when it does, uh, many of you are gracious enough to point it out to me, uh, usually right after the service. Hey, did you know you messed up this? Hey, did you not hear anything else I preached? Nope, but I heard that you messed up this word. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, but anyway, uh, this, this preacher... Uh, you know, he messed up a, a, a key point in the message, and, and his, you know, his, his loving staff, uh, they made a great graphic about it. You know, they had the, the, the guy up there, he was preaching and everything like that, and the point that he made that he messed up was, truth is not relevant. <laughs> now, he didn't mean to say that, but sometimes in, the, in a lot of words that we speak, we just say things that aren't what we're meaning to say. And he made the point that truth is not relevant. Now, that's not what he was trying to say. But the point I'm trying to make is this morning that Solomon is saying that truth is relevant. And the truth that he's talking about is the word of God. Look, the truth that God's word shares is accurate. You know, honestly, there is a lot of the Bible that I do not understand. But the more that I study it, the more I realize that it has the answers to life's problems. And it's all found within these pages. Look, education is important. And I'm not trying to say uh, today that you shouldn't educate yourself, you shouldn't go to school. It's not what I'm saying. But too often, education can become an idol of idealism. More education doesn't lead to a more meaningful life. Education does bring answers, but often, as I've found, education brings more questions than answers. And Solomon isn't telling us to not go to school. But he's saying that, you know what, just because you have a lot of education doesn't necessarily mean anything. Look at the end of verse number 12. I'm going to come back to verse number 11. But he says, and further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books, there is no end. Look, there's no end to the study. You're going to have to continue to study because you're not going to understand everything. And much, is a, or much study is a weariness of the flesh. It's, it's wearisome when you study. I think all the kids would understand that. All the teens would understand that. Uh, myself, I understand that. You know, I couldn't wait to get out of school, you know, thinking, man, I'm never going to have to study again. Then I became a preacher. That's all I do. I study all the time. And it is wearisome. 
But the point Solomon is making is that, you know what, that's not the most important thing. Trying to gain more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge because you're never going to have enough knowledge because there's always going to need more knowledge. The point he is making is what you need isn't more knowledge, more education. What you need is more truth. And the truth is found right here in God's word. And so many people just can't get that. They can't grasp that, that truth that all you need is God's word. This is the key to everything. Even good Christians have read God's word, have studied God's word, have hidden it in their heart. They still fail at this. They still fail to realize that this is all you need. Everything else really is meaningless. It's worthless. This is what gives you the answers to life's problems, right? This is what's going to help you in any situation that you have. And I love the word pictures that Solomon uses here. I love how he, how he gets his point across. Verse number 11, the words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the master of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Let's talk about the nails first of all. In construction, you use nails to hold things together. In climbing, you use nails to hold on to. A nail placed in the right place holds two valuable things together. So it's very important to have a nail because it holds things together. It's something in which we are to hold on to. But he also used the illustration, the, the principle of a goad. Anybody ever used a goad? Anybody know what a goad is? A prodding stick? Anybody ever used a prodding stick? You know what a prodding stick is for? To prod people, to, to you know, stick people. So I asked this week for someone to give me some help and give me a prodding stick, a goad, and, and uh, Justin got one. It's an electric one, so you better be careful. Anybody ever used one of these? Yeah, some, some farmers and stuff like that. Cattle prod. What do you typically use a cattle prod for? Some of you guys are really scared now. What? To prod? What? Someone said something over here. What? Hang on, hang on. What? Someone said something funny over here, I thought. Oh, for friends? <laughs> oh, it was David. You can always count on David. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I've got a good definition of a prod, uh, of a prodding stick, of a goat or whatever. You know, this is my own interpretation of it. This is my own principle. Um, you know, this is, some, this is one of those wise sayings that, you know, we can put on a graphic and, you know, put it out there for next week. But anyway, a goad is for waking up people who sleep in church <laughs> and who don't tithe. That is Pastor Chris Thorne's example of a prod, of a goad. So if you're falling asleep in church this morning, I am going to use this to prod you, to poke you, to wake you up. And if you haven't tithed yet, then I will prod you to tithe. No, I'm not going to do that. I was just, I was just kidding. Um, maybe. But a prod, a goad, is to poke, to point in the right direction, right? Correct? Uh, many of you have had to use it with cattle because they're going in the wrong place and you're trying to get them to go to the right place. What Solomon is saying here is that uh, God's word, in a sense, is a goad. It's something that, that prods us, that, that points us in the right direction. Mike, you want to come up here and use it? No, I'm, I'm, I know. I'm, I'm just kidding. Ryan? Kevin. Okay. Sacrificing your son, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's a loving father right there. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. Uh, anyway, totally messed me up. That's okay. <laughs> Let's think of this application this morning. Truth 
Truth is a nail that is in a fixed place. A lot of times, if you're going to hang up something, you, you put a nail on the wall, and, and then you put a picture or something on the wall so that that picture can hold on to, right? Now, typically, when you put that picture decoration up there on the, on the wall, uh, you don't have to tell the picture, hey, you need to hang on to the nail, right? Anybody say that? Like, hey, picture, hang on to that nail. It's really going to help you. If you do, uh, there are some clinics for you uh, to help you. Um, but anyway, we, we, we put the nails up there, and we have something that holds on to it. You see, that's what Solomon is saying here, that God's word is something that we are to hold on to. Uh, in Christianity, I can't help but think of nails. Now, when I think of nails in Christianity, does anybody know what I think of? The cross. Exactly. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and those nails that were driven through his hands were something that he held on to, right? And we have to think about this. I love what so many, so many preachers talked about in relation to this with the cross. One said, the cross is not only the place of your salvation, listen, it also is the provision for your sanctification and growth. Look, those are the nails that hold your life together. The nails of Jesus, the nails that, that hung him on the cross. It was upon those nails that our Savior hung. The nails are also his eternal word. Psalm chapter 19, the Bible says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, the much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. You see, here's what Solomon is trying to help us understand. Truth is like a nail that is in a fixed place. It's that strong and unmovable nail. It's fixed and fastened because truth is unavoidable. I want to put this up before I actually use it on someone. Truth is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. And I'm going to blow you away with some truth today, but truth does not change. God's word does not change. There are a lot of things in the world that change, but God's word does not change, does it? God does not change. And it's very important as Solomon is wrapping it all together to hang your life on the truth of God's word. Everything else is meaningless. Everything else is empty because it's always going to be changing. The, the culture is going to be changing. It's going to be shifting. But truth does not change. So let me ask this question. Why do we tend to trust in the creation more than the creator? Why do we tend to trust in the creation who does change who can never make up their mind, who really has no clue what they're doing half the time, instead of trusting in the creator, who knows exactly what he's doing. Look, this, this book isn't just you know, a bunch of you know, good one-liners and you know, proverbs that we can use and, and talk about and put on our Instagram feed and stuff like that. This book is truth. Ecclesiastes is truth. God's word is truth. So why do we often just throw it away? Throw it off to the side. You know what? That's good for, you know, when I'm a kid, but I don't need it as an adult. Yes, you do. You need it more as an adult than sometimes you even as a kid. God's word is truth. And I, I keep saying that because I want this to get through our thick skulls and my own thick skull as well. 
God's word is the truth that we should hang our lives upon. That goad is the prod. And I think about it this way. You know, there are people in our lives that are goads, (laughs) that are prodding us to the truth. One is in front of you this morning. Your pastor is a goad who is trying to prod you, to stick you with the truth, to point you in the right direction. Maybe you have a spouse that is trying to goad you to trying to get you to go in the right direction. I think of teachers sometimes. They're trying to prod their students into the right direction. The truth is not changing. Truth sometimes hurts, doesn't it? And I think about it, as I study God's word, sometimes it's very convicting. Ever convicted you? But I think of it like this, you know, like a disease. In order to fix a disease, you have to know about it, right? If there is a disease in your body and you don't know about it, are you going to be able to fix it? No. Are you going to be able to go to the right place to get it fixed? No. But once you know about it, you can take the right steps to hopefully get it fixed and, and find the answers. And I, I can't help but think of Acts chapter 26 where, where Saul was on the road to, uh, road to Damascus, and, and that's where he met Jesus in that blinding light, and, and he got saved and transformed. But, but Jesus made a statement to Saul, and, and he said, hey, Saul, why are you kicking against the pricks? And what he was saying, why are you kicking against the prods, the goads? He said, what you're doing, Saul, is you're fighting a losing battle. You know, Saul was a great man of passion. But he was fighting the wrong battle, so Jesus was trying to goad him in the right direction. And that's what I do every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. I try to goad you in the right direction that, hey, so often what you're doing is you're fighting a wrong or losing battle. You're fighting things that are meaningless. And too many people are kicking against the goads. And too many people, and I've seen it, I see it every week, they turn me off as soon as I start talking. What you're doing is you're kicking against the goads. I could care less about what he's saying. I could care less about about the truth from God's word. Well, if you have that attitude, you're never going to find satisfaction. You're never going to find meaning in your life. God's word is what gives you meaning. God's word is what transforms you. And again, Solomon, he wasted so much of his life chasing the wind, chasing things that didn't matter. Listen to this. Too many people are kicking against the goads. They are going through life resisting truth rather than resting in it. So let me ask that question this morning. What are you doing? Don't raise your hand, but are you resisting the truth of God's word? Are you resting the fact that God's word is truth, that everything it says needs to be applied to my own life? Look, the very nails that you fight against are the very nails that can hold you together. The very nails that you fight against are the very nails that can hold you together. And what I'm talking about is those nails that held Jesus on the cross. The truth of God's word, the nails of God's word that we hang our lives upon. And the first thing that Solomon shows us is life's goading certainty, that truth is relevance. But then we close... This morning, we see life's grand finale, and it's pretty simple. We're going to dive much deeper into this subject tonight, but life's grand finale is this, fear and follow. Fear and follow. Look at verse number 13 with me. 
Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And really, it, it, it's kind of astonishing. A man that, that chased so many things, he puts it all to us in, in just really one verse. And we're, it, it's almost like he's setting us up for something epic and, and great. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait, that's it? That, 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 that's all? Fear God, keep his commandments? That's what we're supposed to do? Yes. It's as simple as that. Fear God and follow him. Fear God and follow him. Keep his commandments. What he says, let us hear, it's, it's an invitation to receive life's most profound reality. The conclusion is that the fact that all the investigation is complete. Everything that he had searched for, he has finally come to his conclusion, his final argument, his final statement. There is no rebuttal. There is no appeal. This is it. The conclusion of it all, man's whole duty, man's wholeness, what man is created for is this, to fear God and to follow God. To fear God and to follow God. Look, life is full of a lot of maybes and what ifs, right? And when you think too much about it, life is very terrifying on the surface. When our illusion of control is shattered, what do we do so often? We instinctively turn to God. We should, or why would terror compel our hearts to God? I think of what Augustine once said. He said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And when we think of fear, we often put it in the context of what we're afraid of, like spiders or snakes or cattle prods or whatever. There's a lot of things that we might be afraid of, but that kind of fear is negative. But the fear of God that Solomon is challenging us to is is a positive fear. When you think about fear, it usually involves things that are beyond our control. And that's what scares us the most. That's what terrifies the most. The fact that we are not in control. Fear is basically admission that, admission that we don't know what we don't know. And we don't like that. And again, it's that illusion of losing control that terrifies so many of us. And as, as Solomon has already hit on, he hit on death. And, and de death is a scary thing to a lot of people because they don't know when it's going to happen. And they try to do everything in their life to, to avoid death. But death is coming no matter you like, whether, you, whether you like it or not. But look, the fear of God, stay with me here. The fear of God is not a terrifying thing. The fear of God is what actually brings us comfort. When we are most afraid, we should run to the place where we find the most comfort. I think of a child, when they're afraid at night, uh, Nate's had bad dreams different times in his life, and you know what he does? He, he runs to mom and dad. Usually mom, because dad's still asleep. But he runs to his parents because he's afraid. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to find comfort. And that's what Solomon is urging us to. In life, that is full of terror and full of fear and full of the unknown, you should run to God. You should fear God, not in a terrifying way, but in a reverent way. And in a, in a way of awe and respect and worship. You see, this is all about surrender. And I talked about a couple weeks ago, the goal I have for you for this year is to learn to lose control. Because in losing control, you actually gain control because you're surrendering yourself to God. 
who has the answers. You know, honestly, life is terrifying. So since, it's life, since life is terrifying, why not run to the only one that can comfort? And when we think about the fear of God, and there's so much more I want to talk about with this tonight. But the fear of God, listen, is freedom from fear of anything else. There's a lot of people in this room that are afraid of certain things. But I think in the New Testament where it says, God hath not given us the spirit of, anybody know? Fear. So where does that come from? Our enemy. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of love and of sound mind. And really, you talk about anxiety last week, that's, that's fear. That's fear of the unknown. That's fear of things that, that we can't control. But li- listen, this life was never meant for us to control it, was it? No, it was meant for us to cast the control to our Savior who can control, who has hung the stars in the sky, who spoke the world into existence. And listen, the fear of God brings three things. It brings safety, it brings security, and it brings sweet peace of mind. Again, we're going to go so much deeper into this subject tonight. But fearing God brings safety. It provides safety. It provides shelter. It provides security. And that sweet peace of mind. You know, too many people struggle with insecurities. I've been guilty of that over the years. And what I'm learning is that these are nothing less than worship issues. Listen to me. They're issues of lordship. You see, we fear lesser lords, and that is terrifying. But Jesus is not terrifying. Jesus is satisfying. I like what Oswald Chambers said. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, listen to this, this is good, you fear nothing else. Whereas, if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. Let me say that again. Oswald Chambers, a great man of God in the 1900s, he said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. When you have an awe and reverence and worship of God, the creator, and realize that he's in control of it all, you don't fear anything else. You don't fear death. You don't fear uncertainty because you know God is in control, that he's going to put everything together. Well, I lost my job. What am I going to do? It doesn't matter. Is God in control? Can God give you something greater? Can God give you something better? What good is it to worry about something that you can't control? It's so much better to trust in God, to to throw yourself into God's arms and say, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to rest in you. But so often, what do we do? We resist God. No, God, I I need to have control. I need to know what's going on. And he says, just rest in me. Isn't rest so much easier than resisting? Again, I I talked about the the past couple weeks. You know, kids have a lot of energy, and they like to just run and run and run. And and I like to to wrestle with the boys. It's fun. But it's so much more fun just resting sometimes. (laughs) Just relaxing. And, And I've thought about that in my own life. Why don't I just rest in God more? Why am I always trying to fight God? Why am I always trying to fight the truth? And Solomon, 
has, had spent his life searching for meaning, for satisfaction. And he said, you know what? It's all vanity. It's all worthless. It's all empty. It's all meaningless. But a relationship with God is not empty. It's not meaningless. It is meaningful. He says that's, that's the whole duty of man. That last phrase can be better translated this. It's the end of man. It's the wholeness of man. It's man's purpose for life. Man's purpose for life is that you fear God and follow him. Keep his commandments. And there are people in this room, and I'm guilty of it at times, that do not like rules. God's rules are protection. They are to protect us. But what we're doing is we're, we're fighting against it. We're kicking against it. It's the truth. And we wonder why our lives are, are filled with anxiety and fear and worry and doubt and, and struggles and unsatisfaction because we're kicking against the very thing that can help us, that can satisfy us. G. Campbell Morgan, in his book, The Unfolding Message of the Bible, said this, man, is an man in his entirety must begin with God. It's so simple yet so profound. Man in his entirety, and that's what he's saying here, a whole duty of man, and the, the entirety of man must begin with God. It's not begin with my job. It's not begin with my relationships. It's not begin with all this other stuff. It's begin with God. Begin with him. Everything begins and really should end with God. That's the whole of man. That's the fear of God. And that's the key truth that he's getting at. This is the wholeness of man. This is why you were created for. If you were a child of God, this is the reason you were created, to fear God, to reverence God, to worship God, and to follow God. Okay? Not for yourselves. Look at verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment, whether every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Look, judgment is coming. And listen, if there is no God, there is no judge. If there is no judge, there will be no final judgment. If there's no final judgment, then ultimately life is meaningless. Nothing matters. But friend, there is a God. There is a judgment. But those that don't know him as their savior will meet him at the great white throne judgment. And they can make every excuse in the book like we often tend to do for why we do what we do. But there's going to be no more rebuttal. No more excuses taken. Final judgment for those that don't know God as their Savior will be, depart from me. And there's a place that wasn't created for you. It was created for the devil and his angels, his demons. Hell. Terrible, wicked, horrible, place of torture, place of pain. So many people think they can just go through life and just, you know, everything will work out in the end. That's not, that's not reality. That's not truth. There is a final judgment. And really what, what Solomon is, is doing is he's pointing us back to Jesus. Because friends, it is all about Jesus. I want to read something in my commentary. I'm going to close here in just a few minutes, but don't close yourself from this message yet. 
But Tim Keller, he put it into great truth. He said, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test of the wilderness, not the garden, whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently was slain by wicked hands, has blood now that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the better ark of Noah, who carries us safely through the wrath of God revealed from heaven and delivers us to a new earth. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all that is comfortable and familiar and go out into the world not knowing where he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and and took the blow of justice that we deserve. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed him and sold him and uses his new power to save them. He's the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who meditates or mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better Joshua, who leads us in a land of eternal rest and heavenly blessing. Jesus is the true and better Job, who is truly innocent and suffers truly innocently, but then intercedes for and saves all of those who are foolish. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be safely brought back in. He's the true and better and real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, the angel of death that will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. You see, the Bible is not about you, and that's what Solomon is getting at. This life is not about you. It's all about him. It's taken me 13 weeks to kind of wrap that up, but that's the truth. And what he says in verse 13, fear God, keep his commandments, fear God, follow him. He's saying obey him and love him. Respect him for who he is and listen, what he has done for you. You see, because of what Jesus has already done on the cross and if we ask him to save us, He will save us. And the truth is this. We are accepted, therefore we should obey. It's not I have to obey so I can be accepted. (laughs) We're already accepted if we trust in God. God loved us first, so now we should love him and serve him. And as I said of Augustine, Lord, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until we find rest in thee. We will never find rest until we find rest in Jesus. We will never find rest and satisfaction until we fear him, until we obey him. This is what we were made for. You were not made for yourself. You were made for Jesus. You know, I made the illustration, I think it was last week, that Ptolemy thought that the earth was the center of the universe and Copernicus came around and said, no, 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 it's the sun. You see, the sun is 30,000 times larger than the earth. 
You know what that says? That everything revolves around the sun. And on a grander scale, the sun is Jesus Christ. Everything in life revolves around Jesus Christ. Doesn't revolve around you. Doesn't revolve around what you think is true. It's all about Jesus. And that's what Solomon is drawing us to. You were not made for yourself. You see, the story of the human race is the story that we think we are in control, that we think it's our life and we can live it however we want, but we didn't do anything. We were created. We didn't create anything. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Look, I've never had to teach my kids to say mine. They just do it instinctively. Mine, mine, mine. Nate does it. Noah does it. I do it. My wife does it. You do it. We all do it. Because in our minds, it's all about us. It's mine. This is my life. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live how I want. I'll give what I want. I'll give what I don't want. I don't really care. Well, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and chase the wind and see where that gets you. Solomon, who was much wiser than you, much wiser than me, has said, I've been there. I have done that. And it produces nothing. You know, this is a man, and I think of it like, you know, like an old grandparent that is sitting down with his grandkids and say, hey, please listen to me. I made some mistakes. But how many have ever had that happen to you, whether it be a parent or grandparent or someone wise than you, and you kind of just, eh, whatever, they're old, they don't know anything. Yeah. Why do we do that? Because we think it's all about us. Because I know more than they know. Who are they? They made those choices. They made those foolish mistakes. I'm not going to make the same mistakes. How many ever thought that about your parents with you and then you've seen yourself do the same things? Oh yeah, there we are. We've all done that. And I, I wish, I wish that I would have listened to my parents. I wish I would have listened to my grandparents. I, would, I wish I would have listened. I, and still I struggle with this at times. I wish I would listen to those that are wiser than me, that have wisdom. And Solomon has more wisdom than any of us. And he's saying, he's pleading with his son. And really the plead is for us today as well. Hey, I've been there. It's not about you. It's all about him. And the conclusion of it all is that life doesn't revolve around you. It revolves around our creator. So remember him. Remember what he's done. And the conclusion of it all, the wholeness of man, why you were created, is to fear God, to reverent God, to respect God, to worship God, keep his commandments, to follow God. That's it. You know, if the son were a person, the most loving thing the son could do would keep itself at the center. And that's what our Savior does. He tries to keep himself at the center. And yet, nope, I don't need you. I am the center. I am the one that it's all about. But friends, it's never been about you. It's always been about him. You know, part of me is kind of sad to close this series up, but we have to move on. Solomon just didn't keep hitting the same thing over and over and over again. He laid it out, and there it is. It's for you to follow. I spent 13 weeks laying it out. Now, now the choice is up to you. Some of you will get this, honestly, and it'll change your life. It'll transform your life. Some of you are like, yeah, forget about it. I don't really care. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm going to do whatever I want. Go ahead. See where it turns out. See where it gets you. Listen to me. We were designed to live and to thrive 
when God is at the center of our lives. When Jesus is the center of it all. Your final assignment is fear and follow. This truth applies to everyone today. You're not the exception. Six times in Solomon's discourse, he talks about enjoying life, the life that God has given us. But never once, listen to me, never once does he advise us to enjoy sin. That's something we do. Well, if I'm going to enjoy life, I'm just going to live however I want because, you know, I'm under grace. No, 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 you got a wrong picture there. He never once advises us to enjoy life in sin. He advises us to enjoy life the way that God designed us to enjoy it. Don't waste your life on frivolous, on trivial things. Don't waste your life chasing the wind. Learn from a man who had it all, lost it all, and found it all. Unfortunately, Solomon wasted too much of his life, and there's probably people in this room that could look back at your life and say, man, I've wasted a lot. You know what? That's past. Honestly, it doesn't matter from here on out. So many people can't get beyond that. Oh, I've wasted so much of my life. I, I can't ever do anything for God. That's behind you. Your life is still in front of you. It might be a day. It might be 50 years. You still have a choice to make. You can spend your life, waste your life, or invest your life. The choice is yours. I close with this. Satisfaction is only found in the source. And the source is Jesus. Because only Jesus satisfies.